All right, well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7 this morning, starting in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we have people that have Bibles in their hands right now. They'd love to get to you. If you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, just throw your hand up. If you don't own a Bible, and just throw your hand up, grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you and, and open up a, a copy of God's Word or open up your phone or, or whatever you got where you've got God's Word and, and get to Hebrews chapter 7. As you're turning there, we're starting a new series this morning called One. Uh, one God, one church, one mission. And, and, and part of this, obviously, is, is preparing our hearts for, for what God has for us as we look towards uh, planting a, a third campus and what God would have in that. Also, just an opportunity as we think about coming to, the, to a 10-year celebration that we've been around as a church. And I've got to tell you this, it was, it, was, it was just over 10 years ago that a small group of people are meeting in, in, in a living room and what, we're, we're praying about what would God have happened about starting a new church in Muskoka. And, and you know what, I'll tell you right now, there are a lot of reasons why that was a ridiculous idea. There are a lot of reasons why that should never work. Why, why, why planning a church here should never get off the ground. And, and uh, even the, the church planning organization we were a part of, they didn't have a lot of hope for us as a church plant. Why? Because they, they didn't plant churches in small towns. We didn't have anywhere near the budget they recommended you needed to be able to start a church. We, we had one pastor, me. We had Eric, who was just volunteering as our worship guy. We had a lot of super committed people, but they were doing two or three or four ministry roles just to see this thing get started. But, but right away at the very beginning, we prayed a prayer. And the prayer was this, it's, it's God, would you show up in a way, would you, would you show up in a way that what we see, what we see happen could only be you? That, that, that what you would do, what you would do in us and among us and through us would be so significant, so, so incredible that we would never, ever be able to claim that, that we did it. We would never be able to give credit to a strategy or to a pastor or to a church movement or to a worship leader, only that we'd be able to say, wow, only God could have done this. I'd say this, the crazy thing is, God answered that prayer. I mean, the Lord grew our church from just a handful of people to, um, well, just this April or April Sunday morning attendance between two campuses is over 800 people on a Sunday. To, to see so many missionaries being sent out, to see a, a church planted and built and now thriving in Nicaragua, to see a church planted in Mexico City, to see a, a campus planted in Perry Sound, to see countless single moms cared for, to see thousands and thousands of dollars go to help hundreds and hundreds of people in difficult situations, to, to be a church leading the way in our church movement for biblical soul care and what that looks like, to, to see so many saved and baptized and story after story after story of lives being changed for eternity, of the, of the lost being saved, the saved being matured, the matured being multiplied. We've seen God raise money in our church in a way that honestly, people who come alongside churches as a job, they help churches raise money, look in and hear the story of how you guys give, how our church raises money. They say, yeah, it doesn't happen like that ever. Like really? Like I got three stories I can tell you right now where it happened in our church like that. And, and here's the thing. 
I have been so nervous over 10 years to talk like this, to share the stories of what God's doing in our church. Because I've always had this fear that, that if I got up and started telling these stories, look at what God's done, look what God's done, then it would almost seem like we're bragging. But hear me in this, listen, this is so important. It is so completely the opposite. God has done something I believe so unbelievable in our midst that we know that we couldn't have done it. We weren't smart enough. We, we definitely weren't prepared enough. We weren't powerful enough. We're not wealthy enough. To, we, we, we don't have anything. We, we've made too many mistakes to, to do anything but point to Jesus. I mean, if, if 10 years ago you had shown up in my office, in the church office, now, now 10 years ago the church office was in my unfinished master bathroom, so it has been awkward you being there in the first place, right? But if, if you had showed up there and you would have had expressed to me, hey, here's what God's gonna do in 10 years with this church, I'm gonna tell you, I, I would have politely smiled at you because I'm just not a mean person, and I would have highly doubted your prophetic gifting, <laughs> I would never in my wildest dreams 10 years ago ever believe that God could do what he's done. And so I want to start this whole series off by, by recognizing that, that God's been so faithful to answer that prayer we prayed at the very beginning. God, would you do something that would be so obvious that you're the one at work? And so if we're going to start off this whole idea of one as we go to three campuses, we want to make sure we're still one, one, one mission, one church, but we have to start here. It's one God. We're going to talk about the mission of the church. We're going to talk about raising funds for, for, for Perry Sound and raising funds for a new North Campus and for what a South Campus would look like here. And, and full disclosure, I'm going to be asking all of us to give, to give sacrificially and joyfully, financially, and of our time and of our gifts. But, but here's the thing. In all of this, as we talk about all of this, even as we talk about what we hope God will do, we can never allow the enemy to take our eyes' attention or our heart's affection away from Jesus. I mean, it seems so obvious and simple that we would say it's got to be about Jesus. And yet I got to tell you, in my own life, there are so, so many opportunities. My heart drifts away from Christ. And I begin to focus on other things. Even I'll focus on good things at the expense of the best thing. If we want to see God continue to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or think of, we, we can never allow, by his grace, we can never allow the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the, the pleasures of life, or, or even the good things that we do, we, we can't allow any of that stuff to draw us away from Jesus as our first love. I mean, I would say this, if you were to boil down our mission statement, our distinctives as a church, our purpose, all the things we talk about, all the slogans we might use, it could most easily be summed up with this one statement, we're all about Jesus. As a church, we exist for the supremacy, for the glory, for the name, for the purpose of Jesus Christ. We don't exist for my name. We don't exist for the name of our church. We don't exist for the name of a church organization that supports us. We don't exist for anything else but Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Amen. It's awkward if only one or two clap. You all got to join in when someone does that, all right? Amen to that. 
You know, we, we talk a lot about the grace of God in our church. We talk a lot about the grace of God displayed in Christ, that Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life, the life that, that we would need to live in order to have a, a relationship with God, a holy, righteous God. And Jesus lived that life for us. And then, then what did he do? He died a death in our place, taking the penalty for our sin, that sin that separates us from God so that we could be raised to a new life, to have this new life, so we could have this connection with God, transformed, eternally secure, held in Christ. But listen, even as we celebrate that, don't get thinking in your mind that the grand story that God is telling, the redemption story of history, it's not really about you and me. We're not the center of it. We're not the hero of the story of redemption. We're the ones being rescued in this story. Jesus is the hero. God says in Ezekiel 36, 22, he's, he's talking about his amazing plan of salvation and redemption. He says, it's not for your sake I'm about to act, but for the sake of my name, God says. 1 John 2, 12 says the same thing. He says, we're forgiven. Each one of us is forgiven for his name's sake. And so again, as we jump into this series, to kick off this series, we need to begin here. It's all about Jesus. I mean, I pray every time I'm preparing a sermon, e even as I'm sitting in worship and just worshiping with you all, and as I'm walking up onto the stage, getting ready to preach, I'm praying the same prayer. Jesus, you be exalted. Jesus, your name exalted uh, above the name of our church, above my name. We need you here more than anything or anyone else. And why would I pray that? I pray that because my greatest desire is for you to not walk out of these doors saying, man, I, I, I love that worship. Not walk out of these doors talking about the preaching or the worship or anything else, but you would walk out of here talking about how great Jesus is. We want to be a church where it doesn't matter who's leading worship. It doesn't matter who's preaching, who's, who's up here doing. We, we want to be a church that's following Jesus. And if we ever get to that point where Jesus stops being the goal, where Jesus stops being the hero, where Jesus stops being the star, the center, listen, God will not move in power in our church. All right, really long intro. We're going to get into the word now. I just really wanted to set up this series and I, I want us to, to make sure we understand where we are and where we're going. It begins and ends with Jesus. And so this morning, when our hearts really look deep into what does it look like to be all about Jesus, how does that change things? How does it change our church? How does it change my life? How does it change our families, our friendships, our workplaces? And here's the thing, when we think about Christ at work in us, I think oftentimes we think, past or we think future. When we think about Christ's work, oh, Christ's work on the cross, that happened in the past. And I can look back and I can say, that's what happened to take care of my sin. Or, or Christ's work, we can look to the future. Yeah, one day, one day, I'll be with him face to face in eternity. No more tears, no more sin, no more pain. And we can see Christ's work past and future. But what I want to see from the text here this morning is what Jesus is doing right now, today. So if you have your Bibles open, look at Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 18. It says, For on the one hand, the former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. 
And it's not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are priest, a priest forever. And what's he talking about there? He's talking about the priest. When the priest would come into the temple, the priest didn't, he says, they didn't come in by an oath. Now, what's, what's he mean by that? An oath, he's saying this. The, the author of Hebrews is saying, an oath is saying, when you make an oath, it's, it's a promise forever. So when you stand up on your wedding day and you make that oath, that promise, for better or for worse, it's for the lifetime this promise is lasting. And he's saying that they didn't do that. Why? Because they would die. It wasn't forever. This whole idea of these earthly priests, it was temporary. But Jesus comes in with an oath as a permanent high priest. It goes on, verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. Super clear, huh? Okay, maybe not, right? Let's unpack this a little bit. What's this text saying? Here's what's going on. What we see all the way through Scripture, we, we see that, that all the way through Scripture, that God uses story. God uses pictures to help us understand his character and his work better. And, and it's why you see when, when, when you read in Scripture in the, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus is always telling these stories, saying, hey, hey, it's like a shepherd going after sheep. He goes, that's like the kingdom of God. It's, it's like this good and forgiving king. That's like the kingdom of God. It's like this little mustard seed, this tiny seed that grows up into this big tree. It goes, that's like the kingdom of God. All these stories pointing. And when you read the Old Testament, you see the same thing. All of it pointing to Jesus, saying that, that's a picture of what's coming. I mean, God would say, say to his prophets, he would actually come to them and say, hey, I want you to live in a certain way so my people get this more clearly. You've heard the story of he comes to a man named Hosea and he says, hey, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. And Hosea, he rightly asks a question, did you say a prostitute, God? He goes, yeah, yeah, I want you to marry a prostitute. And then here's the deal. She is going to continually cheat on you. She's gonna break your heart over and over and over again, but I want you to love her unconditionally. In fact, he said to Hosea, I want you to sell all you have to buy her back from pimps who will take her from you. Why? Because God says, I want to show a picture of how much I love you. I mean, all through the Old Testament, you see this. We, we see all through the Old Testament, as you're reading, you can read it and go, wow, Jonah, what a great story, but a better Jonah's coming. Moses, what a great leader, but a better Moses is coming. David, what a great king, but a better David is coming. All of them pointing to Jesus. And so when we come to this passage in Hebrews, this, this picture of the Old Testament, it's really this author unpacking, here's what the picture was saying. Chapter 7 begins talking about this guy named Melchizedek. 
pretty obscure figure. Not, not many of us know, like, who's this Melchizedek guy? I don't remember hearing about him in my flannel graph uh, stories in Sunday school. He didn't go into a fish. He didn't tear down any walls. He didn't beat any giants. So we don't really hear a lot about this Melchizedek guy. Here's who he was. He was an Old Testament high priest. So, so he worked in the temple. So, so in the Old Testament, there was a temple or a tabernacle before that, and it was this place of worship, and there was a, an outer court where you gather to pray and worship. There was an inner court, but even inside that inner court, there was a, a small section that was, that was completely blocked off by a massively thick curtain all around called the Holy of Holies. And once a year, a high priest like Melchizedek would go into the Holy of Holies. He was the only one allowed once a year to offer sacrifices, to, to stand before God, his, his glory represented in the Holy of Holies, his manifest presence there. And he would go representing the people, sacrificing on their behalf, calling out for God's favor for them. And all, all of this, this temple imagery and this idea of animal sacrifices and holy places, it can be so confusing when we're reading, going, I don't understand what's going on here. And yet we have to get a hold of this because it speaks so clearly about who God is and who we are. I mean, first it tells us this. That the, the, when we look at the temple system, it tells us that God is the only judge. Sacrifices aren't made to anyone else. Priests aren't serving anyone else. God's eye is the only eye that counts. His view of you this morning is the only view that counts. What culture says about you, what your family says about you, what your friends or, or those in your, in your workplace or your school, what they say about you, not, not even, listen, not even what you say about you. His view is the only view that matters. Now, what we're going to see is this, as we, as we keep going, we're going to see if you stand before God, the judge, but you stand in Christ, if, if your trust is Christ going before you as your high priest, in God's sight, how he sees you through Christ, your high priest, is perfect, is righteous, is beautiful. I mean, if we can get a hold of that, I mean, really wrestle that down in our hearts daily, it changes everything. And, and isn't that the, the wrestling match we have every day? Wrestling our hearts, wrestling our minds to see this truth. Who we are in Christ before a holy God. Romans 8, 31, Paul talks about how this changes everything. He says this, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? I love that phrase, who can bring a charge? Who, who can say, this person needs to be criminally charged for this? He says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Because who's the only one who can judge? God, God's the only judge. Only God can bring a charge. And if you're in Christ, if, if you've placed your hope and your life in him, Romans 8 goes on to say, then who can condemn you? It's Christ who died, who's risen, who, who intercedes for us at the right hand of God. That, that word, that phrase in Romans intercedes for us. Look at verse 25 of Hebrews 7. You see it there too, that, that through him, he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, our high priest, standing on our behalf before God. 
I mean, Paul goes on knowing that if we get a hold of that, he says, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Neither famine, nor nakedness, nor peril, nor sword. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, how can Paul talk like that? How does Paul have so much confidence? He says, I will never be shaken. Why? Why? He says, because Jesus is interceding for me. He goes, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Who, who can bring a charge against me? It doesn't matter. Yeah, but what about when people say this about you? It doesn't matter. Yeah, but what about when, when my own mind gets away from me? And I'm saying so many things about myself. truth is, you can say this, I'm loved. God's for me. Jesus interceding for me. Now, what's that mean that Jesus is interceding for us? What's it mean that Jesus is our high priest and he, he's, he's, has, he's making intercession for us? What it means is this. It means he's standing in our place. First John says that, that if we sin and we will sin, he says it's okay because we have an advocate who stands for us. That, that's what the intercession means. There's, there's an advocate with the Father. Now, now today, we're like, what does that mean? I don't get this whole priest thing. I don't get an advocate. I don't get intercession. I, I don't understand it. Think of it this way. It's like a defense lawyer. A, a lawyer stands in for you. And if your lawyer is good, man, you're great. Because in a way, you're, you're actually lost in your advocate. Your advocate stands in your place and represents you. So you're, you're hidden in them. And so, so Jesus, as our advocate, it's just a legal description of our relationship with God. Your attorney, your, your attorney stands in for you. The, the benefits and the failures of your lawyer become your benefits or your failures. The success of your lawyer is your success. And the Bible says, as you stand before the judgment seat in the court of heaven and you look at the law, you stand as one condemned. You're guilty before God. But, but in that court, if you're a Christian, if you, you put your faith in Christ and Christ now stands before you, he stands as your advocate. Now, now let's not rush past this. We stand guilty in the court of heaven, and, and we know it, right? We know it. We, we don't just know it because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, 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 we, we recognize it even beyond God's moral law because our conscience screams it. I mean, can I tell you, even on mornings when I'm preaching, and you think, man, man, when you're up preaching, like you're, you're doing the work of God while you're doing that. I mean, that should be such a sweet place to be. Even while I'm preaching, man, I can be attacked with thoughts, with thoughts that say, who are you to be up there preaching? And then even while I preach, memories of sin. And sometimes it doesn't take a lot of remembering because it could just be memories from this morning. Begin to think, who, who am I to preach? What about all the things that I've done? And, and I can try to excuse my sin. I can try to avoid it. But the reality is this, you and I stand in that courtroom and listen, it's an open and shut case against us. We're guilty. In fact, the Bible would say that's why we, we seek validation through other people and through things. Why? Because we're looking for a way to, have, to, to take care of that inner separation between us and God. We need someone or something. You stand before me. 
You stand before God. It, you you, you reestablish this, this, this relationship that we're supposed to have. I, I need worthiness before God and I don't have it. And, and we crave this acceptance from a holy God. I mean, even if you've never realized it, that's what that craving is. And so, so while in your mind you might think there, there's, there's no God, your heart knows it without a doubt. And it's in that moment you don't want to say, uh, yeah, I don't have a lawyer. I don't have someone to stand in for me. I, I'm in trouble. As a Christ follower, you have Christ as your advocate. And I love it here in Hebrews. It, it tells us why Jesus as your advocate is such an amazing thing, why he does such a great job as your advocate. In fact, the first is this, he's always on duty. Look at verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I mean, God's saying, I had to have tons of priests before because they just kept dying on me. And they were, they were limited in how much they could help because they were human. And, and I mean, you think about it. Have you ever had a time in your life where, where things were just tough and you're like, man, I got to reach out to somebody. I mean, if you're like me, you, you've got your, your circle, right? And, and, it, and you've got your small circle first. I mean, it's, it's my wife first. I mean, she knows everything about me. She's my first go-to. Why? Because I can fake it in church, but man, you can't fake it at home so well, Right? And so she's the one I'm going to go to. Here's the stuff I'm working through. Now, if I can't get my wife, then there's a, a circle of, of people around me beyond that. There's a small group of people that walk with me. And I mean, I know I could call them when I'm in trouble and I'm, they're going to be there for me. But, but there's those times when like you're calling everybody, right? And, and nobody's answering. You're like, wait a minute. I know you always look at your phone. Man, you're screening your calls, right? And you're like, I need some help. Have you ever had that where you're like, man, I need it now. And nobody was there. Jesus right here, he's talking about that moment and he's saying, here's why I'm greater. Here's why those priests were pointing to me because I'm always, 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 always available. 2 a.m., available. Friday night, available. Christmas day, available. Jesus is saying, listen, I don't nap, I don't eat, I have no needs. I'm always available to those who draw near to me. You're not going to get voicemail with me. You're not going to get three days later an email response. No, I'm right here, right now. Jesus is saying, here, here, always on duty. The second reason why Jesus is such a great advocate is because he's perfect. Look at verse 26. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He's a perfect lawyer, a perfect advocate. I mean, having a, a lawyer who's a criminal, that's not a great lawyer to have. To have a lawyer who's disbarred doesn't help you out very much. But Jesus says he has no need to offer sacrifices for himself. Why? Because he's perfect and righteous. He's eternal. Here's, here's the third reason why he's a great advocate. And really, this is the crucial point we're going to center in on this morning. He has an absolutely airtight case. He has an absolutely airtight case. Look at verse 27 again. 
It says that, that since he died once for all, when he offered up himself. Now, I used to think, think of Jesus as an advocate this way. I used to picture Jesus in heaven with the case file, Kai Ballantyne, right? And, and, he, and he comes into the courtroom and he kind of lays all these files out before God the judge. He's like, well, yeah, yeah, look, I know Kai screwed up one more time. I know he did, but, but, but God, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just pleading for your mercy here. I mean, after all, I left heaven for you to go down and to be crucified on the cross. I'm just pleading for your mercy. And, and God, because he's merciful, would, would say, okay, this time I'll forgive Kai. But, but, but then it gets to like that 592nd time I've done the same sin. And I can just imagine God going, really, really, again? Again, yeah, yeah, my mercy runs out. Like you, you, can, you, you can do it up to here, but man, you've gone up to here now with your sin. That, that, that last sin that puts him over the top, I'm done. He's guilty. He's paying for this one. And, and I always kind of viewed Jesus as a great lawyer, but not with a really good case. And it was only God's mercy as a judge. I'm, I'm hoping to press in on that. And, and maybe, maybe yeah, I know I'm guilty. Maybe he'll give me a lighter sentence. And the Bible tells us here that's not what's going on at all. Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest, the perfect advocate, because he has an absolutely airtight case. He stands before God the Father and says, Father, I represent my brothers and sisters. They've sinned. The evidence is clear. They are guilty, but as a just God, as a good and righteous judge, you're just. And, and your law says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus in that moment says, look, see my blood. It's been paid for. And, and Father, because you are just, you could never take two payments for the same sin. That's the case, open and closed. I, mean, I don't know if you underline things in your Bible, but that, that verse 27, he sacrificed for their sins once for all. I mean, that's a good thing to underline, to remember. It's Jesus saying, once for all, I don't stand in the courtroom pleading for mercy. This is not a case where I ask for mercy for my clients. Jesus stands in the courtroom and says, I demand justice for them. I mean, think about a good lawyer. A good lawyer isn't a good lawyer because they can play heartstrings really well of a judge. A good lawyer is a good lawyer because they know the law well and they say, no, this is the law. And so Jesus asked for justice because he satisfied the law. He's paid the penalty. He says, see the cross. See my blood spilled. See my life given. Another verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 24, says that, that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's blood. Remember in Genesis, Cain kills Abel and God comes to him and says, hey, where's your brother he says his, his blood cries out. Now, now, what did Abel's blood cry out? His blood cried out justice. Jesus' blood cries out something better. It does cry out, but it cries out grace. Justice has been paid. I mean, if you think about it, if, if you were on the scales of justice and, and you were over on one side and God's holy justice was on the other side, so huge is his justice, it makes the mountains look like a grain of sand and his justice over here, how's that scale gonna tip? And Jesus is standing in as your advocate and he's saying, no, 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 that justice moves over to your side now. 
I mean, verse 25, he says this, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He can save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. It has nothing to do with your goodness. It has nothing to do with your record. It has nothing to do with what you've done. So, so no matter the good things you've done, or no matter if you're here this morning and you carry with you a depth of sin and a weight of shame, it says here that in Christ, you are saved to the uttermost. Justice is paid. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. Now, now what's that mean for us today? I mean, how does recognizing Jesus as an advocate with a perfect case for us, how does it change the way you and I live today? Why, why is this so important for us to know? Because here it is. Jesus doesn't just get you acquitted. He gets you all the rights and the privileges of someone who is perfectly righteous. You get everything Jesus deserves. That's exactly what being an advocate means. That's what this whole image means of him as a priest. You get everything through Christ. What do I get then? Here's some things you get real quickly. You get his spirit. You get the Holy Spirit because of this. God's spirit, the power of God, the joy of God, the strength of God. But, but scripture says God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. So, so how is it that you can have his Holy Spirit? Why? Because of Christ as your advocate. John 14, Jesus prays that we would have the Spirit in us. He intercedes for us. We get those benefits. You get his Spirit. You, you, you have access to God and prayers answered because of this. I mean, how do you approach a holy, righteous God? Here it says, draw near to him through Christ. You, you can enter into the, the holy of holies now. When Christ died on the cross, that curtain separating us from the holy God, torn in half, you now get to go right in. You get to draw near to the creator of the universe through Christ. You have a spirit, you have access to God, you have prayers answered, you, you have a security you have a security. I, I love in, in Luke 22, Jesus grabs a hold of Peter and Peter's about to deny and betray Jesus. And Jesus comes to him and says, hey, hey, Peter, Satan's demanded to have you. He's gonna sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. Jesus says, I've interceded for you. I'm your advocate. I prayed for you. And he says this, when you've turned again, strengthen the brothers. Now, I love what Jesus says. He says, I've prayed for you, and if you return, if you return, no, he says, no, I've prayed for you, so you're going to. You will turn again, and when you do, strengthen your brothers. Now, now think about this, that in that moment, Peter wasn't the only one who betrayed Jesus. Judas did too, right? Now, why, why a short time after, why a short time after we see Judas hanging himself, dying in disgrace, and Peter leading a movement that would change the world? I mean, was Peter smarter? Was Peter better? Did Peter just have a, a did Peter, was he more resilient? You just had a better faith than you. No, 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 no. Jesus says, I've prayed for you. It's all about Jesus. That, that, that legal transaction between Peter and God through Jesus Christ never happened between Judas and Jesus. So when you recognize who you are before a holy God in Christ, you have a security. No more shame, no more guilt, 
When Satan roars at you either through somebody or through your own thoughts and he starts to point out that sin in your life, man, you can look at him and say, listen, I know those sins well. In fact, I can give you a thousand more that you're not even talking about, but God sees none of them through Christ. When I bring my heart to him, when I repent and bring my sin to him, it's taken care of. We have security. You have hope in this truth. No more disappointment that, that Christ is your hope and your worthiness and, and, and those things that disappoint us. Why do they disappoint us? Because we put our hope in those things. We put the weight of our soul on those things. And when they let us down, we're disappointed. And, and this shows us, wow, for eternity, you can place your hope in Christ. It means you can have unashamed worship. Why would it change the way we worship? Knowing that Christ is our advocate, that we stand before God through Christ because we can enter right into the presence of God. And if that's true, if we can draw near to God, listen, it means God has drawn near to us as well. He can break into our worship so that every time we come to worship, every time we lift high the name of Jesus, our advocate, we're celebrating in the courtroom that we've been set free. We're seeing the cross of Christ and the empty tomb and we're gathering to celebrate that. And what is that? It meant you worship more passionately. You worship more freely. You worship more deeply. It can't just be going through the motions when you start to understand what worship actually is. You can't come hands in your pocket and mumbling your way through when you recognize, wait, wait a minute, I'm in the presence of a holy God because Jesus Christ came and lived and died for me and rose again. It changes how you worship. You're in that same courtroom where it says in scripture that, that when one sinner repents, that there's rejoicing before the angels. And I've said this before, I think sometimes we mix that up and we, we think that scripture says the angels rejoice over a sinner who repents. No, it says rejoicing before the angels. Who's celebrating? It's God in the throne room celebrating a sinner who's repentant. We join in on that. It changes how we worship when we recognize we're in that courtroom with our advocate being set free. You can have unashamed worship. Here's the last thing you have in this. You're on mission. When you recognize Christ as your high priest, Christ as your advocate, you can be sent out with this, this humble confidence. Humble because we know that it's all Jesus. It's, it's nothing about us. It's nothing we could do to do anything. And we're nothing without him. And so we're humbled saying it's all about Jesus. And yet, yet we also have confidence because it's Jesus. What does that mean? It means you can step out and, and speak about the gospel to those around you. you. You can step out on mission to what God's called you to and say, I'm going to speak about grace and God's goodness. I'm going to talk about God's word. Because why? Because Christ is in me. Because Christ represents me. Because I'm free in him. And so you have this humble confidence. I can sacrifice. I can give. I can serve. Now listen, if you lack humility in anything, because again, you're not seeing Jesus as your advocate. You, you need to look to the cross. If you lack confidence in your faith, see Jesus as your advocate raised to life. So we end really where we started this morning. 
I mean, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you can recognize the, the only reason you can stand free and joyful and righteous and clean and confident is because Christ is your advocate. And if you've been set free with Christ as your advocate, there is no condemnation. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And so again, unashamedly, I'm gonna ask you all the way through this series, I'm gonna ask you to, to step in and, and, and that we would all step up and step into the, what has God called us to? God, what have you called me to in, in the investment I put into prayer for our church? What, what have you called me to in the investment I put into my finances for our church? What have you called me to in the investment I use my gifts for, my heart for, my ownership, my passion? And I, we're gonna be calling each other to more of this, but it begins here. It begins when we say it's all about Jesus. Because there's something God wants more before your investment, before your involvement. God wants your heart. So wherever you are this morning, that that's your first step this morning. You say, Lord, I want to give you my heart in this. As you think about Christ as your high priest, Christ as your advocate, what, what does that change for you today? How does that change a sin you've been struggling with? How, how does that change a fear that you have? What's a worry you hold on to that this changes for you today? What are you holding on to this morning that you need to surrender? What's God calling you to that you need to step out in faith? Faith. 